Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. Uh, again, my name's Sean Bolton. I'm so excited to be here with you on this Super Bowl Sunday. Show of hands, who's pulling for the Panthers? Three? All right. <laughs> How about the Steelers? Oh, the Steelers didn't make it, did they? Oh. <laughs> How about the Broncos? Anybody pulling for the Broncos? All right. It'd be cool to see Peyton Manning win, right? I have a confession to make. I'm one of like seven Raiders fans still in existence in the, United, in the world. Um, while we're on, I feel like we're heading in the right direction. This time of year has been pretty much meaningless for me for like 15 years. So I'm just hoping to see a good game. That's where I'm at. <laughs> so, so today we're going to talk about um, home, right? And how many, has anybody ever like been away from home for like an extended period of time, like longer than a week? Yeah, whether it's vacation or whatever it is. And how many know that, like, once, you know, you're gone for your few days, you just get this feeling of, like, man, I just wish I was back at my home, back in my bed where it's more comfortable, and just surrounded by my stuff. Um, recently, I went to uh, Disney, Disney World with my family. It took my mom. It was her first time there. She was more excited than my four-year-old. Um, <laughs> so... And by, like, the third or fourth day, it was crazy. I was in, like, the happiest place of earth, but I just wanted to be home in my own bed. <laughs> and part of that was because my son and my wife, they don't understand how to share a bed, right? Karina, like, thinks that there's just a middle, not, like, two sides. And then Derek runs marathons in his sleep. So by, the, like, the second night, I was in the living room on the pull-out couch. So that, that could have played into my feelings, but, but you know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> so I had, I had this question. Um, that I was hoping to get some feedback from you guys. What, what do you guys think of when you think of that word home? Like, what comes to mind? Let me shout them out. Family? Security? Familiar? Anybody else? People you love are there? Okay. Comfort? One more. Who can give me one more? Friends, thank you. All right. So for me, the, and all those are, are great answers. And for me, when I think of home, I generally think of my mom. Not because I'm a mama's boy or anything. I might be a little bit of a mama's boy, but <laughs> I think of my mom mainly because she always said that she wanted her house to be the place that me and my six brothers and sisters would come home to. She wanted it to be a place where we felt safe, where it felt like we belonged, where we felt comfortable. We could come home for like Christmas dinner and we'd all be there and hang out. And that's, that was her kind of dream and picture for her house. And this is true for me and my family. So much so that if you look in my cell phone right now, the house number for the house that I grew up in is still programmed in there as home. Right? That, that number dials up. I know it's my mom calling. And in my life, I can think of dozens of times where I just had that desire, that need to be at home uh, with my mom, like sitting in the living room discussing who knows what over a cup of coffee. Right? And uh, one of those times I can think of was when I was about 19 years old, and I was in Wisconsin. Um, I, was, I was training to deploy for my first, uh, my first deployment to Kuwait. And uh, we actually got a three-day pass to come home for Christmas, a whole three days. Thank you, Army. <laughs> a whole three days to come home and celebrate Christmas. Now, the airport that we flew out of was in a little podunk town in Wisconsin called La Crosse. Anyone ever heard of it? One person, thank you, two, all right, three, okay, La Crosse, Wisconsin. And we're flying from La Crosse, and we're trying to get to Harrisburg, and surprise, surprise, there's no direct flights from La Crosse to Harrisburg. So we have this connecting flight in, um, in Atlanta. 
And if you've ever flown during Christmas, it was December 23rd. If you've ever flown during the holiday, you know that it's busy, flights get delayed, and flights get canceled. Well, that's what happened to me and my friend David. We got our flight out of Atlanta got canceled. And I was 19 at the time, and David was 18 at the time, and at the time, and neither of us had ever really flown by ourselves before. So there was like a hot minute where I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to spend my entire three-day pass at the Atlanta airport. Like that's, that was my reality right then. Long story short, um, we got a, a connecting flight to Philadelphia, and some of our friends picked us up. And I can remember like the anticipation of um, driving home and seeing like the road signs, like I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. And then the, getting off of 81 and seeing like Enola Wurtzville Road. Oh, thank goodness I am home. This is where I belong. But there was just this, this anticipation that we had. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of home. I think of my mom's house. I think the anticipation of coming home. But what I wanted to dig into today is that beyond a physical place, a physical place that we call home, we have a home in the heart of God where we each have an innate desire to get to whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time of us coming back to God. And this is what this series that we're digging into, Awakenings, is about. The desire that we all have to find our way back home to the heart of God. And I think that, if we're honest, probably all of us can say that at one point or another, we've ignored that desire. We try to scratch that itch by chasing things that the world has to offer, whether it's a successful career, a good reputation, acceptance, success, perfection, whatever it is, it always comes up empty outside of, of a relationship with God. The truth is that God created us to be at home with him. And no matter what we try to fill that gap with, we're always going to have this nagging emptiness inside of us apart from a relationship with him until we make our way back home to our heavenly daddy. But in order for us to find a home in God, I believe that that he has to be real to us, right? We can't make a home with someone who's distant or worse, seemingly imaginary. We have to be able to say, yes, this this is my God, and I have a relationship with him. So today we're gonna talk about how God can become real to us. So if you pull out your outlines today, we're gonna dig right into our first point, And that is that God becomes real when you awaken to the reality that you have a father who wants you to come home. You have a father who wants you to come home. And to kind of kick off this topic, I want to visit a story from the the Bible that's probably familiar uh, to most of us. It's going to be up on the screens. You can pull out your Bibles or it's in in your outlines. It's found in Luke 15. It starts in, in verse 11. And it's, it's most familiar to us as, as the story called The Prodigal Son. And it says, uh, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them, he was talking to some Pharisees and a group, a group that had gathered to hear him teach. He told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man set him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. 
and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So, I think that we can look at the, when we look at this story, we can see in the relationship that the brothers have with the father that they live their lives in a certain proximity or in certain relation to their home and, and to their father. And I think it translates to the way that some of us feel about this home that God has for us. If we look at the younger son at the beginning of the story, you know, one, percep- one perception could be that he never really felt at home with his father. And his desire to feel at home led him to persuade or pursue acceptance and fulfillment other, elsewhere. And some of us here today have never known what it feels like to be at home with God, to feel like we belong in him and with him. We feel like we're on the outside looking in, wondering what it might look like to find peace and love in the Father's arms. Or it's possible that the younger son once did feel at home with the father. Maybe when he was younger, like a a kid or a teenager, he experienced that love that his father had for him. But now as a young adult, he felt distant. And again, this caused him to find fulfillment elsewhere, away from his home. And some of us um, lived at home at one time or another. But we still find ourselves wandering off, trying to find that thing that is going to fulfill us, fill that emptiness inside of us. And then what about the older brother in the story? By all accounts, he was the good son, right? He stayed home when the prodigal left and was doing stuff he shouldn't have been doing. He does his chores. He does whatever his father asks him to do. But what was missing was his relationship with his father. Based on his interactions with his father, it seems like he was so focused on getting things done that he kind of missed out on the opportunity to have a relationship with dad. And that could be true for some of us. We may say that we live at home with the Father, but we live in only just like this vague awareness of him being present and wouldn't say that we truly know him or we truly have a relationship with him. Now, when he told this story, Jesus doesn't really go into what happens after the party, right? It kind of ends, and we don't know what happens going forward. 
But I would like to think that if the Bible had another, another chapter, like a kind of a, just, this is how it ended, put a bow on it, and this is good. I, I would hope that this is how it would end something like this. You know, the brothers reconciled, and they began to work on their relationship with their father, learning about him, loving him, and found the home that they were always looking for. So some of us here today do live at home with God. And for those of us who are living there, I would challenge you to continue to strive to know more and more about your heavenly Father's heart by deepening your relationship with him. For me personally, I can think back on my life and just see different uh, seasons of my life where I've fallen into all of these things that we've been discussing. You know, whether I was completely ignoring God and refusing to answer his call to enter into a relationship with him, or I was trying to be content with a vague awareness of God and not fully engaging him because I was too busy chasing things that didn't really matter. But through all of that, no matter what season I was in, I just can remember and, and can remember experiencing this longing for something more, which led me to times of returning home to God, hoping my father would welcome me with open arms. And what I've come to realize, even when I'm wandering off, even when I'm ignoring God or even avoiding him, that ultimately, like the father in the prodigal story, God wants me to come home to him. His desire for me to come home far outweighs my desire to be home because of how much he loves us. It's in those moments that, becomes, that God becomes very real to us. And that brings us to our second point. God becomes real when you awaken to the reality that you have a home that can be found. God becomes real when you, re- when you awaken to the reality that you have a home that can be found. God wants to be found even more than you want to find him. He is a findable God. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. It's awesome that God always takes the lead with us. The promise of Jeremiah 29 is that God has good plans for us. Each and every one of us, he has good plans for us. And when we realize that, then we see that he is a good God, a good father. And we can call on him and we can seek him and he's going to respond. Because we realize that he is the source of a good life. And only he will satisfy our longings when we're at home with him. And so when we abandon all the other things that we're chasing, whatever it is for you, whatever that looks like, all the other things we're chasing, and seek God first with all of our heart, he's easy to find. He says, you will find me. I will be found by you. What a great promise. We have a good father who is findable. And I've personally, I've seen God's faithfulness as I seek him not once but over and over. And this is kind of how it's played out in my life. You know, I find myself far from God. Whatever, you know, rabbit trail I get that takes me away from God, I find myself in that place. Then, like a little kid who's lost, I cry out to my heavenly Father, and he always, always, always responds, I am here. I'm here. 
You know, when I was a teen and never felt good enough, he was there. When I was a young adult feeling beat up by doubts and failures, God was there. When I've made choices that are opposite to what I say I value, God's been there. When I've been alone and need, needed guidance, God's been there. When I've felt like giving up, God's been there. And sure, there have been times when I haven't felt like he was there. You know, just really couldn't feel him or see him or understand how he was working in a certain situation. But I always realized that eventually that he actually was the whole time holding my hand and leading me through that, whatever it was that I was going through. One of the most rewarding things about pastoring for me is, is walking people through those moments where they feel like God is distant and then seeing them through to the point where they come out on the other side and come face to face with their, their findable father. I've been working in, in youth ministry uh, in one capacity or another for the better part of eight years. And if you've ever worked in youth ministry, Pastor Sean, you can attest to this, it, it requires a certain amount of patience, right? <laughs> so there's times where you get frustrated. There's times when you want to quit. There's times when you just, like, want to grab a student and shake them. <laughs> Carissa has been awesome in not letting me do that. <laughs> You want to grab a student and shake them awake to what God is offering them because you see God at work in their life, but they don't always see it. But every once in a while, the hope that you have for a student is realized, and it makes it all worth it. So about two years ago, a student that I I know from um, a youth center that Karina and I have been involved with, he came to me because he felt a call to missions on his heart. But he was having trouble reconciling that because he knew that in order to realize that that promise from God, he had to get over a pornography addiction that he had developed. He felt far from God because the addiction that gripped his life had kept him from, from finding a home. It kept him wondering if he could ever find a home because of the guilt and shame and, and just everything that goes along with, with something like that. So I agreed to meet with him regularly, and with God's help, tried to counsel him through this. We met weekly, and and he began to seek God with all of his heart. This kid, I mean, he motivated me in a lot of ways. And I began to see progress, not just in the fact that he wasn't looking at, at pornography, but in the fact that he was seeking after God with reckless abandon. And he began to find the home that he was seekingly, or he was he was so so earnestly seeking. He gained confidence in Christ. So much so that I had him lead devotionals uh, for, for, the, for the, some of the youth gatherings that we had. You know, and, and now if you look at him, he walks so confidently in Christ, and I'm so proud of him. He, uh, you know, he, he, he's actually at Bible school right now in North Carolina, getting the education and stuff that he needs to, to go out to the mission field. And uh, you know, he's, he just walks in that resurrection power, and it's just amazing to watch because he was so far from that before. He was so far from the home that, that, that he wanted. But after seeking and spending some time through that process, now he's at home. The kid goes on like prayer walks, you know, walks up to random strangers and just prays with them. And, and it's just awesome to see how he, he's, he's responded and, and is doing so well. And if you were to ask him today, I'm sure that he would tell you that now looking back, he could see God through the entire thing. And that the home that, that he's found in him 
was there all along. He could always take advantage of that if he wanted to. And each adventure is personal and unique. And I'm not saying it's always easy. It wasn't easy for this student to overcome that stuff. But it's so worth it. It is so worth it. The journey back to God provides freedom, grace, and forgiveness for everything in our past. We can find meaning and redemption even in the darkest parts of our stories. And if you're like me, your story has some pretty dark parts. So there's a, there's a Gallup uh, survey. It says 92% of Americans say that they believe in God. That's 9 out of 10 people in America say they believe in God. But sometimes life causes us to have spiritual amnesia, and we forget about God. Our series resource is a book. It's called Finding Our Way Back to God. Um, and there's this awesome story about this little girl named Sashi and uh, her little brother who was just born. It says, soon after her brother was born, little Sashi began to ask her parents to leave her alone with the new baby. They worried that like most four-year-olds, she might feel jealous and want to hit or shake him. So they said no. But uh, she showed no signs of jealousy, and she treated the, the baby with kindness. And her pleas to be left alone with him became more urgent. They decided to allow it. Elated, she went into the baby's room and shut the door, but left it open a crack. Enough for her curious parents to peek in and listen. They saw little Sashi walk quietly up to her baby brother, put her face close to his, and say quietly, Baby, tell me what God's like. I'm starting to forget. For many of us, there's, there's a point in time where we can look back and say, that's when I forgot about God. Others of us can look back on our story and say, that's the time that I feel like God forgot about me. You know, maybe it was during your growing up years that you forgot about God. When you most needed to be accepted and included, you were left alone and on the outside looking in. It made sense even then that if there was a God, he wouldn't have abandoned you. Maybe there was a loss or a death that you know God could have prevented. But for reasons you still don't understand, he didn't. Perhaps right now it feels to you as if God has forgotten about you. Something's gone terribly wrong in your life. You've prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing has changed. Or you've done something wrong and you know you've put distance between yourself and God. And you're not quite sure how to bridge that gap. So you sit, waiting, anticipating, sometimes praying, but nothing changes. You keep showing up for the religious service, but it always seems like God doesn't. So whatever your reason is for feeling distant from God, it's possible for you to start the journey back to him. Remember, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God wants to be found by you. And sometimes it starts by us remembering our identity, remembering who we are and whose we are. God's our good father, and we are his beloved sons and daughters. Our home is with him. So I want to take a moment right now and, and just soak in that promise right now. that He's a good, good father. Alan's going to uh, lead us in a song here. Take a moment to soak in the father's goodness and his love for you. Some of you may want to take these moments to seek him this morning and experience the promise that God can be found.
You're a good, good father. And I'm loved by you. good, good Father. You love us and are there for us, and we can find a home in you. Amen. So I, I want to read actually another story from, from our series resource, and it's, it's about uh, this girl named Elizabeth Smart. It says, for Ed Smart, it was worse than a nightmare when he faced a horde of reporters and television journalists who had camped out in his front lawn. Overcome with emotion, this father stepped up to the battery of microphones and spoke directly to his daughter. Elizabeth, he said, if you're out there, we're doing everything we possibly can to help you. He fought back the tears and then addressed the kidnappers. Please let her go. Please. People all over the country felt anxiety for the smarts and their 14-year-old Elizabeth, who'd been abducted from her bedroom the night before. For the next nine months, her her kidnappers held Elizabeth captive. Forced her to wear a wig and a disguise, she would often be so close to her Salt Lake City home, but no one ever recognized her. On occasion, she and her abductors would eat at restaurants her family frequented, but no one identified her. Experts believe it's possible that, as sometimes happens in an abduction, Stockholm syndrome began to set in. Elizabeth no longer identified with the smarts as her family, and their home is her true home. Instead, she began to sympathize and identify with her oppressors. Nine months later, Elizabeth Smart was at a crossroads, literally and figuratively. A police officer spotted a vaguely familiar teenage girl crossing an intersection in Sandy, Utah. After the policeman asked a few questions, the teenage girl blurted out, I know you think I'm Elizabeth Smart, but I'm not. The police officer asked about the wig she was wearing. She insisted that it was her real hair. The officer questioned her about the couple she was with, and she was adamant that they were her parents' even though they were, in fact, her kidnappers. So lost, but so close to home. So close to being found, but not even knowing it. Apparently, the painful events of the past months had been too much for her. She either oppressed the memories of the rapes, captivity, and indoctrination she had run through, or simply couldn't deal with them. It was though she didn't even know she was lost anymore. She'd forgotten who she really was and to whom she belonged. It almost kept her from being found and going home. But then the officer looked her in the eye and gently said something along these lines. I know who you are. You are Elizabeth Smart. You've been lost, and I'd like to take you home. Silence. He showed her a missing person poster featuring a photograph of herself. Then she looked up with tears brimming in her eyes and said, Thou sayest, I'll say it. In other words, if you say so. I believe that God wants you to hear him. So I wanted to just do a little quick exercise. If everyone could close your eyes. I'm wondering if maybe God wants you to hear him gently speak something like this to to you. I know who you are. And I know that your journey has taken you to places where I never intended for you to go. Life has brought you pain. I never wanted you to feel. experienced regret that I hope you could have avoided. 
feel lost. Now I would like to bring you home. You can open your eyes. Sometimes it's the disappointment and tragedies of life that leave us feeling the most lost. Sometimes we make wrong turns or, or take detours and end up at places that we never thought or imagined we'd be at. Some of us have been distant or lost for so long. We've been lost for so long that we've started identifying with our lostness rather than Jesus Christ. And that could look like a number of different things, and I'm sure it looks differently for each and every one of us. It could be a relationship failure. It could be that you're just a workaholic. It could be that you have an addiction, whatever it is. Identity always precedes behavior. Your behavior is going to reflect what you see your identity as. What you need is someone to come alongside you and help you remember that who you are and to whom you belong. You are a child of God, his son or daughter. You belong at home with the Father. That's when we realize that those things. That's when you remember who you really are. Because the truth is that no matter who you are, what you've done, or what's been done to you, you are a child away from home who belongs to a Father who wants you home with Him. I want to say that again. You are a child away from home who belongs to a father who wants you home with him. Sometimes we get wrapped up and overwhelmed with what we think should be, what we think we should be before we get to the father, right? We try to make ourselves perfect and then maybe, maybe then we'll be presentable to, to God. We try to figure everything out before we put 100% trust in him. But we selfishly live out our relationship in a way that tries to figure out the best way for God to give us what we want. When in fact, living with the knowledge and understanding that we belong with the Father is less about following the rules and more about surrendering to a God who loves us. It's less about eliminating doubts and more about holding on to the hope that God wants us at home with him. It's less about striking a deal with God to get what we want and more about discovering God's unconditional love. Whether you're young or old, single, married, divorced, widowed, whatever your story is, there's a God out there who wants, you to, who wants to know you, wants to love you and give your life purpose and meaning. But to get that, you have to take a risk. You have to take a risk on God. Blaise Pascal is considered to have had one of the greatest intellects in the history of Western civilization. He grew up knowing about God, but not earnestly following him. Who can relate to that? But in a profound middle-of-the-night experience with God, he had a change of heart. And that experience ignited his passion to help people find their way back to God. Pascal began to challenge his fellow intellectuals to take a wager on God. He would dare them to step into a belief about God and see if it didn't change their lives. Pascal explained his wager in this way. Let us weigh the game and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate those two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is, that God is. And we want to challenge our entire church family to take Pascal's wager. 
And his wager looks like this. It says, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Think about that. Process that. What does a real God look like to you? God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. With this gamble, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Like, consider the upside of this, of this wager. If you find God, you may also find the source of the unconditional love that you've always longed for. Finding God might give you purpose and secure your identity as a son or daughter of God. God is the one who can take your past, everything in it, and make it make sense and, and, and make, a worth, make, make worth out of it. And that's a big-time payoff, right? That's a wager I can buy into. And the downside, there isn't one. It's nothing. You make a wager on God, it has all the upside of the, in the world and none of the downside. So I challenge you to place a bet on God. And remember, God wants to be found by you even more than you want to be found by him, or what, even more than you want to find him. That's why he promises that if you seek him with an open heart and an open mind, you'll find him and he'll make himself known to you. So we're inviting everyone to pick up our series uh, resource, Finding Your Way Back to, to God. I think we have some back in Ministry Central. Um, and take this wager to, to, make, to, to ask God if you're real. Make yourself real to me. In this book, there's a 30-day guide that's going to challenge you to think, journal, and pray. All you need to do is set aside 15 minutes to interact with the, the spiritual questions that are in it. And I guarantee, I guarantee that it'll, it'll change you. If you seek God with an open heart, he's going to respond. Now, I know that the distance that we have to travel to find our our home in God can differ depending on where you are in in your journey. And I don't know that I can offer like a quick fix or like a direct flight from La Crosse to Harrisburg or from point A to point B. But what I can offer you is this challenge, a challenge to put a wager down on God. Wherever you are on your journey toward home, we want to challenge you to take that wager. You know, this 30-day thing might not get you all the way there, but it's going to be a step in the right direction, and I know God will work. We challenge you to dive in over the next several weeks as we go through this awakening series. We're going to look at different ways to engage God. Really excited for this series. But for now, I pray, like, over the next week or so, that you just sit in this, the, the words of this wager. God... If you're real, make yourself real to me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the story of the prodigal son, for giving us a picture of what a loving father looks like, but also for giving us the courage and grace to return home with you where we belong. Thank you, Father, that you want us to come home. Thank you that you want to be found by us. Thank you, Father, that home with you is where we really know who we are. And it's where we find life to the fullest. It's where we belong. Father God, we really want to know you. So this Lenten season, we commit to this prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Amen. Now the band's going to... Lead us in worship. I would challenge you during this time to pull out your response cards. There's a couple different ways you can respond. One, you can just let us know how this message hit you. God's stirred in your heart at all. You know, we'd love to, to come alongside you and pray 
you through some of this stuff. The other way that if, if, you, if you want to take this Lenten journey with us, if you want to take that wager, just, just write Awakenings Wager on your, on your response card. The other thing that, that I want to let you guys know is we have these little cards for you in the back. They have the, they have the, um, the wager on it. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Take one of them. Put them in a place where you're going to look at it and remind you of, of this wager, of this challenge that you're taking. I know for me personally, mine's going right in the corner of my computer at work. So that, that's available for you guys if you want to pick that up.